Hello and welcome to Chain of Thought. This is the podcast of the Centre for International Development at Northumbria University, in which colleagues pass on and interview Baton and take turns being interviewer and interviewee, uh, discussing our research experiences. Uh, my name is Joanna Allen. I'm a Leverhulme Early Career Fellow at Northumbria, and a fortnight ago I was interviewed by my colleague Professor Kate McLean. So this week I'm sat in the interviewer seat. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Inga Bodevane, who is a postdoctoral research fellow here in the Centre for International Development. Her research focuses on gender and the social dimensions of natural resource extraction in Latin America. Welcome, Inga. Thanks so much, Joanna, and and thank you for inviting me to the podcast today. I I really enjoyed listening to yours as well. It's great to learn more about everyone's work in this way. Oh, thanks very much. So one thing I'd love to hear more about is how you got into researching gender and natural resource extraction in Latin America. Yeah, it it actually wasn't a super straightforward path for me into my research. Um, I I did an undergrad in development studies, but I, I sometimes call myself the secret force because I actually have a master's in forest and nature management. So (laughs) it took me a while to kind of pinpoint exactly what is the overlap of of those interests. But so for um, for my master's thesis, I, I had the chance to um, to go to Cambodia for a bit to do some research into community forestry, and and gender was one of the kind of various things that I focused on there. So I think that was when I started to kind of bring together those those interests in natural resources and gender, and yeah, <laughs> and then the Latin America aspect came kind of after I graduated. I, w- I went to work for um, an NGO in Belgium, Catapa. And they were working on um, supporting communities in Latin America, to some extent also elsewhere. Um, But they were supporting those communities um, involved in resistance movements, uh, opposing large-scale mining in particular. So again, to work with kind of the social side of of the impacts of of natural resource extraction. And so um, basically, I I was there in 2013, and, and the main case study that we were working on was the case of resistance against the new proposed conga mine um, in Cajamarca in northern Peru. So that was a really very current issue at the time on the back of, of, of massive social movements and protests and, and criminalization of social movements and um, sadly lots of violence against protesters and, and even bystanders as well. Wow. So we, we didn't there um, focus so much on on gender, but one of my colleagues actually forwarded me the, the specific advert for, for the PhD position here at Northumbria. So, uh, yeah, focusing on, on gender and mining in Latin America uh, or in the Andes with um, with Katie Jenkins, of course. So, yeah, obviously, I thought that would be a great chance to kind of focus more on, on gender and, and feminism in that discussion of large scale mining. OK, that's amazing. And you use some fascinating and innovative research methods in that PhD. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so um, during my PhD, I, I conducted uh, 20 oral history interviews with, with women in Cajamarca in, in, in Peru. So I did kind of at the start try and, and keep an open mind and, and, and read about different cases. But in the end, I kind of gravitated towards that that case that we'd been working on um, with the NGO. And so most of these women had been involved in, in the anti-mining movements in 2012, and, and they were involved in kind of ongoing uh, women's and, and environmental groups. And so as 
part of uh, the interviews, I I asked each um, interviewee if uh, if she was willing to draw me a map uh, indicating sites of change in relation to the mine. Okay. So kind of looking at um, just how have things changed since the mine, um, the existing mine opened in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So within living memory. And um, so 15 of them did draw a map. Some, some decided not to due to lack of time or kind of insecurities about drawing skills. So I would, of course, tell them it doesn't have to be beautiful and it doesn't have to be geographically accurate in any way. But, you know, also trying not to push people um, to participate. So, yeah, I I did mention the word map, but Mm -hmm. then I so then I kind of gave them the creative freedom, I guess, to to draw whatever um, whatever came to mind. So the the outputs very widely. I have a mind map that includes kind of only words I have some uh, before and after pictures showing you know the situation before the mine came versus now um, I have some imagined landscapes like this was, would be what things ideally would look like so um, yeah I, I wow. took it yeah it was it was really very interesting um, what, what came out and, and I, um, I was quite interested in kind of the idea of, of mapping as a political act so mm-hmm. I took some some inspiration from kind of participatory mapping methods and um, geophilosophy that that highlight how kind of mapping allows for you know the communication of, of implicit and, and local knowledge about daily life in in place that wouldn't necessarily otherwise come out of an interview so oh, yeah. fan- fantastic <laughs> Inga could you tell us a bit more about the mines and, and what's been going on since the since the mining started in in the nineties? Yeah, um, basically, there's a, a large scale mine called the Anacocha mine that opened in the early nineties, and before that, the region didn't really see much mining, so it was largely kind of an agricultural uh, region. Initially, um, people were kind of told that, well, mining will bring development, it'll be good for the region, it'll bring jobs. Uh, So people didn't really oppose it very much at the time. But as the years kind of went on, um, not a lot of people actually gained jobs in the mine because it's a a large-scale mine that attracts kind of very few workers and very specified knowledge uh, for the workers that they do attract so they often come from either abroad or kind of other parts of the country and and on the other hand people were obviously seeing that there was increasing pollution um of of rivers in the first place but of land as well um and so whenever there was a a suggestion to kind of expand the existing um yanakocha mine or or later on to open that new mine, the Conga mine, there was kind of large, large resistance movements against uh, because people were basically saying, well, you're saying that that mining is development, but we can we can see that it's not because even in that that time, Cajamarca actually became the poorest uh, the poorest region of Peru. So there was really no, but still, um, still it was framed to them that you know mining would equal development and and that anyone that kind of opposed it was was anti development and and even anti-Peruvian because the idea of of 
of the nation is so so closely tied to to mining activity that to be against it can be framed to be kind of fundamentally to be against the state. So it's uh, yeah, it was a very intense intense conflict. And how was it doing research there for you, given the intensity of the conflict? Well, I should say that by the time I went there, a lot of the the conflict had kind of died down. So um, the, the the large resistance movements that was kind of 2011, 2012. And by the time that I went, it was 2016. I, I was there for seven months, 2016, 2017. And so by that time, the, the new mining project had been put on hold indefinitely by the mining company because it just wasn't it wasn't tenable with with the situation on the ground and so even though people stayed alert there wasn't in that sense any of the kind of active in the streets social movements or protests anymore but people did continue to meet environmental and women's groups continue to meet obviously the existing mine was already there so there's kind of the need to remain vigilant about it as well and I think it, it was a great opportunity I think as well to kind of look at what happens after popular movements die down or are still active to some extent with kind of the the core that remains that was something that was kind of under researched at the time and and it, it gave me the opportunity to speak to women about different things one one of the things i found was um there was a strong sentiment that because some smaller movements kept you know kept meeting and, and people kept a little bit active they're keeping kind of the flame alive so at any time we can mobilize loads of people again okay. but in the spaces that there were now i think they kind of had the chance to um what the women told me you know we we always struggle with, with this question of you know if you don't want this mine then what do you want mm-hmm. and going back to that narrative of mining equals development so if you don't want it then how are you going to achieve development <laughs> so they had had kind of time to reflect on that question and, and and to move beyond simply okay no we do not want this that was an area i think of, of a lot of debates among the remaining activists i think it's a lot more difficult maybe to find one one common answer um but yeah that that was one of the things that i i focused on in my my phd kind of the different the different ideas about what future development uh, could or should look like and i i published an article about that as well recently oh fantastic yeah. that article's out at the moment right yes yes that's okay. one's out yeah where can we find it um, it's in the bulletin for Latin American research. So the the mapping method sounds fascinating, but you've also used um, photography and oral histories in your postdoctoral work. Could you tell us a bit more about about using those methodologies and the work you've been doing more recently? Yeah, yeah, I, I do really enjoy working with visual and, and creative methods. So um, the the photography work I worked as a as a research assistant on on two projects, working with photo voice and and participant photography, one in Peru and one um, in Newcastle. And yeah, I think that one of the key benefits of visual methods that's often, you know, found in the literature as well is that they produce not just more but knowledge, but different kinds of knowledge so they can they can show something different. So the the photography project in Peru was uh, with Katie Jenkins again, and um, she came to Cajamarca while I was there for my PhD work. And, and we found a group of women that were willing to to take part in that project. And they took photographs of, of things that meant development to them or community and things like that and I think that that's a really great series of photos that again goes even further in moving beyond beyond anti-mining activism into other things that that matter to to women involved in such move fantastic what research projects are you working on at the moment 
So at the moment, um, I'm involved, as you said, as a postdoctoral researcher in, in two different projects at the Center for uh, International Development. And, and they are really very different, uh, which is really great. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a bit about both of them. Um, first of all, the one that I think is maybe a little bit more obviously related to, to my previous work, which is the Reclama project that's short for um, Harnessing Afro-Ecuadorian Women's Heritage and uh, that abbreviation. But, but yeah, Reclama, it's a uh, decolonial, anti-racist and, and feminist research project drawing on uh, critical geography and history. And, and the purpose of, of that project is documenting the, the heritage of Afro-descendant and Black women in Esmeraldas province on the north coast of Ecuador. And, and they also struggle with unsustainable natural resource extraction, um, as well as with racism and, and gendered violence. So uh, on that project, we're, we're working with a great team of, of colleagues in Ecuador and here at the center and uh, across kind of academic disciplines and activism. And, and that project tries to provide a resource to kind of sustain the collective memory of, of Afro-Ecuadorian women in Esmeraldas in an intergenerational way. Um, so yeah, the, the project hopes to, um, to work with these women to, to identify and tackle the, the natural resource extraction related violence uh, to articulate more sustainable development trajectories. So as you said, yeah, for that one, we are working with, with oral histories and creative methods as well. And the approach is that, yeah, it's it's, it's really good. We're working with, with peer researchers. So at the end of May, after many delays, <laughs> um, we finally managed to, to hold a workshop and, and we worked with our partner NGO, Mujeres Asfalto, on the ground. And they did amazing work in pulling that workshop together because no one else on the team, unfortunately, could travel. So at that workshop, um, Afro-Ecuadorian women from all over the region were trained to be peer researchers to, to enable them to collect oral histories from older women in their community. Um, because there is a really strong tradition of, of oral storytelling there, but much of it isn't isn't captured or written down so the partner NGO really wants to to capture that that resource as well so uh, so yeah they are they're conducting the, the interviews at the moment which is exciting and then in the future we hope that we can hold more participatory workshops with with kind of a mix of, of interviewees and, and peer researchers to to develop further creative outputs to to celebrate Afro-Ecuadorian women's heritage so that's the first project um wonderful so the other project is um called Volunteering Together, Blending Knowledge and Skills for Development. And that one is funded by uh, Voluntary Service Overseas. Again, I'm working with great people in, in the center and abroad. And, and you know that a lot of great research on volunteering is, is carried out at the center. So it's, it's great to take part in some of that and learn about that as well. And we're trying to better understand um, how different types of volunteers work together. So when, when we speak about different types of volunteers that can be understood in a, in a range of ways. So for example, geographically, we're looking at a lot of international, national and community volunteers. So volunteers embedded in local contexts that understand local culture and speak the language versus volunteers volunteers um, from very different backgrounds, but also volunteers with highly specified skills versus those with a more general background, um, 
long-term, short-term, different age groups, et cetera. So we're, we're trying to understand how those kind of different types of volunteers work, work together, which is something that is missing. There's a lot of focus on kind of global north volunteers in, in that space. So we think there's it has kind of to do with some colonial legacies in development research that focus on what the north can do for the south. Yeah. So we're trying to hopefully change that a little bit. And um, the methods there include uh, interviews and, and workshops with discussions and creative exercises as well, which has been really good. So, so far, we managed to complete fieldwork in Tanzania and, and we're hoping to soon be able to start uh, work in Uganda as well. Sounds amazing. Um, Inga, I'm noticing a, a theme in the research you've, you're doing. So the Reclama project, working with peer researchers and working to conserve oral traditions there and then reversing colonial le- legacies in the, um, the volunteering project. And as you mentioned, trying to change this narrative of what the North can do for the South in terms of volunteering. There seems to be a a decolonial focus emerging in what you're doing. And I know you've been involved in in more work within the centre in this area on the Decolonial Chats Initiative. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think those those kind of debates are are so important. So yeah, the Decolonial Chats uh, were were a series of of online workshops that I hosted again with some great colleagues at the centre, all early career researchers. And that was funded by the Development Studies Association. And um, it, it was aimed at other students and ECRs and, and development practitioners to kind of, again, yeah, interrogate how, how coloniality is embedded within development research and practice and, and how it can be in that way a driver of ongoing global and, and racialized inequalities. So we wanted to create kind of a space to think about what decolonizing development might mean or, or look like. And we had four workshops with, with really great speakers and a good mix of activists and academics from Brazil, Nigeria, Uganda and Ecuador, uh, all, all involved in, in some way in decolonizing academic research or development practice or, or both. Uh, so yeah, we heard some some really fascinating perspectives there, feminist decolonial views, ethics and coloniality, extractivism, uh, reciprocity in research. And I should say that the recordings from that are also online for anyone that wants to uh, look it up. So yeah, I think overall we, we were really happy with how it went and we really learned a lot so yeah hopefully in, in some small way again to be part of that ongoing and, and growing conversation of decolonizing development oh that's fabulous thank you Inga it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and, and hear more about your fascinating work and I'm wondering now who are you going to be interviewing next time who are you going to pass the interview baton to uh, yeah I'm going to be uh, interviewing Sarah Peck so um, Sarah is a Liberium early career research fellow here at the centre and, and she's one of the colleagues involved um, in setting up the Decolonial Chat series. So it's actually, I should say she had quite a pivotal role, so I'll discuss that with her. And um, yeah, Sarah is currently doing great work on, on the research project, um, the Territorialized Responsibilities, Everyday Diasporic Life, Civic Space and Global Development. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to hear, hear more from her about her work. Oh, thank you. I'll look forward to listening to that too. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Joanna. 